Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. How many of you play dominoes on a when you get together and you play a regular game of uh, bones or chicken foot or Mexican train? I can tell you in our household, Mexican train gets really heated. Really, really heated. And for, uh, for many years, we had to put that on a different shelf where we wouldn't find it. And we told ourselves, we can't play this because we are getting too angry with one another. <laughs> I'd, like to, I'd like to formally announce, though, that when we went back to Ohio, uh, we played again and we were all able to enjoy our game of Mexican train. So I feel like we've redeemed that in our life and I feel like that's a big step in our family, which is fantastic. Uh, You know how to play dominoes, you know the different games, Uh, but when you're a kid, this is the best way to play with dominoes, right? You stack them up and you try to figure out what it looks like to develop a pattern because if you just knock down how many? Yeah, if you just knock down one, the rest of them will topple over and depending on how extravagant the pattern you've created, you can come up with some pretty awesome designs. I want you to think about and picture dominoes as we think about our new series, Second Nature, because these dominoes will represent different spiritual habits we begin to incorporate into our daily lives. And the series is kind of designed to help inspire and challenge all of us to develop these strong spiritual habits. And what you will find is as you incorporate different habits in your life, you'll see them cascade out of your life into strong faith. And it's our desire for these habits to be second nature. Now, we are called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We're also called to make disciples. We're going to start with the verse that's not in your notes. I added it late, but it's in Matthew chapter 28. So maybe write it down and you can follow along in the streams. Uh, Let's actually read this first verse together. Ready, begin. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a great place to start. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to whom? To Jesus. Help me out this morning. And it says this, Jesus came and said to them, who's them in this scripture? Anybody know? These are the disciples. So this verse is talking about Jesus talking to disciples, and he gives them this imperative. He says this, everyone say that first word nice and loud, ready, begin. Go. Go, and he asked them to do three things, and he gives them a promise. He says, go therefore, and first of all, make disciples of all nations. Second thing he asked them to do is what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The third thing is this one in verse 20 says this, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So we are to make disciples. We are to baptize them. Um, Baptizing is this idea that we are going to allow them to make the decision to identify with Christ and his followers then we're going to teach them to observe all these different things. So let's start here. What is a disciple? A disciple is, a disciple is someone who is following Jesus. A disciple is a person following Jesus. So the idea of being a disciple of Jesus Christ has nothing to do with whether or not you believe in God. 
Let me say that again. It has nothing to do whether or not you believe in God. Now, to be clear, most of us are in this building or you're watching online or you're listening later in the week because you do believe in God. But a disciple is not merely someone who, is, uh, who believes in God, but someone who follows God. And as we get started, let me just say this. The Bible knows nothing of you believing in Jesus and having no intention of ever following or submitting to him and calling yourself a Christian. It doesn't exist in the Bible. Every instance in the New Testament of someone coming to Jesus means they followed him with their life. It means that they repented, that they turned from the way in which they were going in their life. They turned 180 degrees. They were walking this way, and now they're following Jesus. There is no instance in the New Testament where someone simply said, I believe, and then in the proclamation was, well, therefore you're a Christian. Every single time there was evidence of being a Christian because they followed him. There is no Bible verse that supports the fact that just because you believe that you are now an active Christian. In fact, Jesus says over and over again in the scriptures, believe in me and repent. Turn from your ways. Instead of going this way, come this way. And if we're going to follow after Jesus, it means that our lives do not remain stationary. It means there's an active walk. That means we're following after him. So as we think about these spiritual habits, let me start here by saying this. Healthy, growing Christians do consistently what other Christians do occasionally. Healthy, growing Christians do consistently what others do occasionally. So if someone is spiritually thriving and they're close to God, that means they're consistently living out some of these habits rather than doing them occasionally. And in many ways, when it comes to our faith, our spiritual habits will make or break us. And whether we want to admit this, repeat this reality, when it comes to our faith, we have to put a conscious effort on these spiritual habits that allow us to grow and be healthy. Now, how many of you would agree they're not easy to implement these habits? It's not easy. The Apostle Paul talked about it. One of the most, uh, most uh, honest passages you'll read, Romans chapter 7 and verse 21 says this. This is Paul, and he's talking to Christians. He said this, I've discovered this principle of life, that, what I, wh that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. How many would sign your name to that verse as well? Right? Inevitably, whenever I want to do right, inevitably I just do wrong. Um, he's talking about our sin nature. He's talking about the tension that we live in when we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, but we also have that sin nature, the temptations that lie within us to do what is wrong. He goes on to say, I love God's law with all of my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. And this power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Let's stop reading for just a second. Do you see the tension that Paul's living with? What's he saying? He says, I'm a failure. I'm not disciplined. I'm a disappointment. I'm not becoming more like Christ. He says in verse 24, oh, what a miserable person I am. Because I, every time I want to do what's right, I end up doing what's wrong. 
Every time I want to follow up after Christ, I end up falling into temptation. Every time I want to do the right thing, I end up doing the wrong thing. Oh, what a miserable person I am. And then we see him shift his thinking, and he asks this question at the end of verse 24, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Who will free me from this life? Who will free me from this desperation, this discouragement, this sin, this hardship? He looks to the source and he says in verse 25, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. He looks to the source, the only one who can truly change him, and he says, thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is our strength this morning. He is our healing. He is our one hope, and it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or what you've been dealing with. With Christ, he takes all things and he makes them new. So my prayer is that as a church family, we would be a church full of not only believers, but of followers. Not just believers, but of followers. Let me ask this question then. Why do we have good intentions about our faith and no follow through? Why do we have good intentions about our faith, but for some reason, we are like the Apostle Paul and we say, well, I want to read my Bible, but I just end up scrolling on Facebook. I want to read scripture, but I just end up wasting my time. I want to pray, but as soon as I start my prayer, my thoughts go elsewhere. How many of you are like that? Um, I want to, uh, I want to be bold in my faith, but every time I do, I find myself getting timid and shy. I want to be generous and I want to give back to our community and to our church, but every time I try to, I feel like I can't afford it. Um, I want to forgive this person in my life, but every time I want to forgive them, I come up with the hurt and the pain all over in my life. Do you see the tension? So why is it that when we have good intentions, we don't follow through. I would, I would submit to you three reasons. Number one, we don't know where to start. We don't know where to start. We're going to address this in this series. We're going to get really practical. And every week we're going to have a prayer that you can pray as long as also with very practical steps depending where you are in your faith. We're going to spell it out. These are the kind of subjects we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how do I pray. How do I read my Bible? Why should I sing out loud? I'm not going to tell you when we're doing that one because I need you to be here. (laughs) Why should I forgive someone? How should I forgive someone? How do I be a good friend? How do I be generous when I can't afford it? I think in the church, we really do ourselves a misservice because, um, and I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about us, I'm talking about this church, because often, and, and I'll just tell on myself, right, often we will talk about spiritual principles and I'll say things like, um, you know, we need to read our Bible and we need to pray, and yet we don't always follow through and explain what that looks like. 
And oftentimes, you'll go home on a Sunday afternoon and say, that was really great. I don't know where to start. I don't know where to start. I don't know where to begin. And many of us, we will not develop a habit because we simply don't know where to start. So we're going to talk about how do you get started. Um, Another reason we don't follow through, even though we have really good intentions, is we don't see progress fast enough. And again, we're going to address that. We're going to go step by step on some of the most important spiritual habits. And what we're going to do is this. Every single spiritual habit we're going to talk about, we are going to give you an assignment based on where you think you are in this habit. So if you are someone who is, uh, if we're doing uh, the Bible reading one, which we'll do in a couple of weeks on Bible reading, if you have uh, grown up in the church and you're used to reading your Bible every single day and you need to level up, as it were, on that habit, we're going to have a category that says uh, that, you're grow, that you are mature in this area, but you need a challenge. We're also going to have an assignment that says if you've never read your Bible more than two days in a row, this is how you should start. We're going to give you very practical advice, very practical suggestions on what it looks like because oftentimes, if we don't see progress fast enough, we will deem ourselves a failure and we won't start again, right? Yeah. People rarely, uh, in my experience, people rarely wreck their life and end up in a really bad place all at once. What tends to happen is this, you make a small decision a little compromise here, you cut the corner here, you fudge a little bit here, a little bit there, you bend the rules a little bit here, you take a step over the line here, and then one day you wake up and you said, oh my goodness, how did I end up here? And you didn't get there overnight, you made small decisions that accumulated over time. And our little bad decisions are followed by other bad decisions. And then you take someone who maybe in their life, their, their, their spiritual life, from the outside looking in, they're crushing it. You look at them as a person of prayer. You look at them as a person of maturity when it comes to spiritual things. And it looks like they're doing great. Can I submit to you? They didn't get there overnight either. It was one small decision at a time, one moment of sacrifice, one small discipline, one moment of prayer that led to another moment of prayer that led to a season of prayer. It was one day they tried to fast. It was one week where they read their Bible altogether. It was one moment at a time accumulated And all of a sudden, you see yourself growing and progressing in your faith. This is not in your notes, but you should write this down. Your good decisions are not wasted. Your good spiritual habits, they're not wasted. It's like when you turn on uh, the water boiler. We have a little electric kettle at our house, and during the winter, it's awesome because you can make, you know, you can get the water heated, and then it'll just stay heated throughout the day, right? And it's awesome. And what you do is you take room temperature water and you put it up in the electrical, electric kettle and you set, your, uh, you set the amount of heat that you want it to arrive to. And sometimes if we're cooking something or we need a boiling water, sometimes we'll use that and we'll, we'll click on the button that just says boiling. And you know what happens right when you hit that button? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing happens because it's room temperature water still, is it not? And then what happens over the course of time? You just, and if you just watch it, it will look like it takes forever because a watched kettle doesn't boil, isn't that the saying? But over time, and ours is clear so you can see, 
uh, the water won't do anything for a long time. But it'll go from whatever the temp room temperature is, 75 degrees, it'll start going up to 82 degrees. You know what an 82 degree pot of water looks like? A 75 degree pot of water. <laughs> looks exactly the same. And then it gets to 88, 89, 90. And then it starts increasing. It gets to 105, 110, 130, 140. What is happening? Well, the water is storing up all of that heat. It's storing up all of that until it gets to 210, 211. And then at 212, what happens? The reaction happens. But you don't get there until you first get to 200, until you get to 150, 100. What's happening? You are storing up the energy until it gets its desired effect. And here's what will happen in the course of this series if you apply yourself, if you do your homework. This is a great series because very little of this depends on me. <laughs> it really just depends as if you do the work or not. If you add these spiritual habits and you start adding a, adding a God-honoring spiritual habit one at a time, you know what will happen by Tuesday of that week? Nothing. Nothing will happen. Nothing will happen by the end of the week, probably. I'll be honest, by the time we finish this series, you may not have very many stories of victory. But if you keep adding these God-honoring habits and grow yourself and stretch yourself spiritually, what will happen in six months is this. You will have a crisis in your life, and instead of being shut down emotionally, instead of being shut down uh, spiritually, you'll be like, you know what, I'm going to pray, because that's what I've been doing for six months. I'm going to read the Psalms because I've learned how to read now. I've learned how to, that sounded condescending, my bad. I've learned how to read the scriptures now. I've learned how to hear from God. I have this really great friendship. I'm going to text them before I post this to social media passive aggressively, right? You're going to do all of these different things. Why? Because you stored up energy so at the moment of crisis happens, you're already doing this. You know how we want to live our Christian life? We want to live our Christian life this way, that when the crisis comes, you say, okay, I, I guess I should read my Bible this morning. And you'll open your Bible and you get to Job and you'll be like, I don't understand what that happened. <laughs> I don't know how that's supposed to help. And then you will pray. And moments after you pray, you will spill your coffee or your kids will yell or you'll get into traffic or you'll be late for something. And you'll be like, I'm not praying again. That did not work. I did it once on a day I really needed him and it did not work. You will text your friends that are not spiritually mature, but they're the only ones you've developed. Hello? And they'll give you really bad advice and you'll follow it. Right? This is what happens. You will wait for crisis to develop your habits when, you know why they have off-season uh, off, off training? So that when the game comes, you're ready. When the moment of crisis happens, you're ready. And just because we don't see progress fast enough doesn't mean we're not doing it well. It means that you're preparing for when the situation will pay off, right? So why don't we see progress? Well, we don't know how to start. We're going to help you with that. We're going to help you get started. We don't see progress fast enough. We're going to help you with that. We're going to show you the steps to take so that you can get there. In fact, Paul says it this way about progress. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right 
time. We will reap a harvest if we don't give up. You know what he's saying? Don't give up at 210 degrees. You just stay faithful. You keep doing it because there will become a moment where all of this pays off. Third reason why we don't why we often have good intentions but we don't follow through is this, we sabotage our success. We sabotage our success. There are times when we will sabotage our success and because we failed or we screwed up or we fell into temptation for just a moment or something happened, what does the enemy do? And let's be very clear when we're talking about the enemy. The enemy is Satan. He is the enemy of our soul and he tries to connect our failures with our identity. Now, for, for some of us, this is going to be really, really life-changing. Our enemy will try to connect our failures to our identity. In other words, because you failed, you are a failure. Because you did something bad, you are inherently bad. And when you look at the most effective people in God's Word, you will see people who battle these same struggles. I'm going to give you two examples. There's dozens, but in the Old Testament, somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, Moses didn't live up to his own expectations. Because as soon as God talks to Moses and gives him an assignment, Moses says, "Well, I, I don't know. I'm not a good speaker." We have no evidence of that, by the way. We have no evidence that Moses is a bad speaker; that he's not eloquent. But somewhere, in the line, somewhere along the line, there was a moment where maybe that he failed at something. And because he did, he owned that failure for the rest of his life. You know what most of the story of the Exodus is? Moses talking to the most powerful man in the world. It is him speaking. And yet some reason Moses said, I'm not a good speaker, Lord. Well, who told you that? Who told you that? Most... Likely, the enemy of our soul took his identity or took his bad behavior or took his moment of failure and associated it with his identity. You think about the Apostle Paul, the verse that we just read in Romans 7. I try to do what's right and I don't do what's right. Oh, what a miserable person I am. How many of you go that quickly when you're talking to yourself? Right? I'm trying to do the right thing. I don't do what is right. I must be a miserable, worthless person. Yeah, we sabotage our own success. And our enemy tries to connect our failures to our identity. And so this unhealthy new identity, I'm a failure. Um, I can't speak in front of people. I'm a miserable person. Creates these unwise, unhealthy habits that reinforce the unhealthy identity. So we take our failure, it leads to this uh, unhealthy identity. Because we have this unhealthy identity, we choose these unwise and unhealthy habits that reinforce our bad, uh, this, this unhealthy identity. And what does that lead to? It leads to more failures. Here's what is happening. Our identity shapes actions. Our identity shapes actions. And so the very, very beginning stage of embracing these spiritual habits is to first embrace our identity in Christ. 
And if we, can, if we can embrace our identity in Christ, all of a sudden, it will lead to fruitful behavior. If you have your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 6. We're going to read a bunch of verses from Romans chapter 6. What are we, in August? I think around May. I think May is when I started reading Romans 6 almost every single day. About three or four times a week. And I'm working on memorizing Romans 6. It's just an amazing chapter when it comes to our identity. And I would encourage you, your assignment for, for today is two things. We'll talk about the second one in a moment. Uh, but the first one is to read a portion of Romans 6 every day. Now, for some of you, that means one verse, and that's okay. For some of you, that means that whole chapter because you're retired and you have plenty of time to do. Amen? All right. Some of you, it means finding the verse that speaks to you, highlighting that one, saving it as your screensaver on your phone, doing whatever it is, putting it on a post-it and putting it uh, on the fridge, somewhere you're going to visit often, put it on your bathroom mirror, somewhere. But we're going to embrace Romans 6 for just a few moments. And in doing so, we're going to embrace our identity in Christ. Because if, if we can embrace our identity in Christ, what will happen is this. It will create the momentum we need for strong spiritual habits. Romans 6 verse 1 says this. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? This is an interesting way to start a chapter, isn't it? A little bit of the backstory. Paul has just explained the law and God's grace and how God's grace saves us from the penalty of the law. But he also is explaining that when we do sin, when we do fail, when we do make a mistake, we have God's grace that will forgive us. And so now he's asking the church, well, does that mean we should keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? And the answer is no. He says this in verse 2, Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Verse 3, Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? So when we identified with Christ, when we were baptized, it symbolized, it set in motion this truth that because Jesus uh, was, died on the cross, we now are dead to our sins. We joined him in his death. Verse 4, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Don't miss, man, this is so, this is amazing. Look at this verse again. Uh, what verse are we in? Let's go back to verse four if we could. Yeah, right there. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, let's stop right there. I think anytime we read in scripture, a reference to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we need to pause and just remember what happened. So Paul is saying, here's Jesus. 
And he's 100% man and 100% God at the same time. And he lived among us. He was born of a virgin. He lived 33 years of a sinless, perfect life. He was tempted in all points like we are, but he never sinned. And he was our perfect replacement, our perfect payment, I should say, for our sin. Our sin necessitated a payment, and Jesus made that payment. Okay, let's read it again. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father. So he's dead, he's buried, um, they rolled a stone over, they set a watch, and then we know the story three days later, up from the grave he arose, right? With a mighty triumph for his foes. You guys know the song? We won't sing the rest of it. I started it way too high as it was. So by the glorious power of the Father, Jesus arose from the dead. Now we also may live new lives. We don't live these lives in our own strength. We live it with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Let's go to verse 5. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. Verse 6. We know that our old sinful selves was crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. The goal of these strong spiritual habits is to develop them in a way where this verse becomes a reality in our life that sin begins to lose its power on us. And we're no longer slaves to sin. Verse 7, when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we also will live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. Now, all of that is, is a declaration, and now here's the application. Verse 11, so you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Here's your command. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to selfish desires. Verse 13, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Verse 14 ends this portion of Romans this way. Sin is no longer your master. Amen? Sin's no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. So every time you do sin, it is a willful choice. It is because you have not set uh, barriers in your life. It is because you have not set up strong spiritual habits that will avoid that moment in your life. It's because you're, you're tired and, and you're, uh, you're weak and you are... Um, 
um, um, drained and maybe you're hungry even or, or, or there's a set of circumstances that lead you to this position with, so that when the temptation comes to sin, you just let yourself go. It's a willful thing. But right now, you live under the freedom of God's grace. When you know who you are, you will know how to live. When you know who you are, you will know how to live. And our healthy identity will create positive habits. And these positive habits reinforce a spiritual identity. Now, let me be clear. There's no one spiritual habit that we're going to talk about that will fix your sin nature. There's not one spiritual habit that we talk that will miraculously put everything else in place. It will be hard. It will be difficult. It will be work. But anything that is worth living for requires some work on our end. Amen. So we're going to do this together. We talked about dominoes a little bit ago. Um, I did some reading about four or five years ago. There's some leadership training I was going through. And I was doing some reading, and I came across this article about dominoes and the physics behind it. And what's interesting is when you think about dominoes is any sized domino can knock over another domino, which is one and a half times larger than itself. It's interesting. So this gentleman named Stephen Morris he runs, or he used to run what's called the Experimental Nonlinear Physics Group for the University of Toronto. No idea what that means, but I need to give him credit. <laughs> he did a presentation with dominoes. And in this video, there's a chain of dominoes that begins with a domino that's five millimeters high and one millimeter thick. So you can see he's holding it with a pair of tweezers, right? Because it won't stand up on its own. And he has these dominoes laid out. And the next one is one and a half times larger than that original one. The next one is one and a half times larger than the previous one. And it goes on and on uh, for 13 dominoes. So the first one is five millimeters high, one millimeter thick, 13 dominoes in all, all of them one and a half times larger than the previous domino. And the largest one would weigh 100 pounds and over three feet. Okay? The smallest domino is five millimeters high, one millimeter wide. 13 dominoes, the last 100 pounds. When he placed the smallest domino and topples over the very next domino, every one of the dominoes toppled over. Even the last one, 100 pounds, and three feet high. He did the math and said if he were to do 29 dominoes instead of 13, 29 dominoes, every one of them one and a half times larger than the previous one, the last domino would be the size of the Empire State Building. And in that case, the five millimeter by one millimeter domino that he delicately placed on the one right next to it, that's only one and a half times bigger, would topple that one, that one, that one. And according to the law of physics and stored energy, the 29th domino, the size of the Empire State Building, would also topple. Here's the physics behind it. Every time you stand up a domino, you lift it against gravity, and you store some of the gravitational potential energy in the domino. 
And what ends up happening is you only have to put a little bit of push to get it to that tipping point. And as you do, you get all that energy that was stored, you get it all back again. And when it falls over, that's more than enough energy to knock over the next domino that's one and a half times larger. It turns out that the amplification in this series of the video he presented of 13 dominoes, the amplification is 2 billion. So we put in a little bit of tiny effort and energy at the beginning, beginning. <laughs> at the beginning, and we get 2 billion times as much in the end. We put all that energy in by lifting these dominoes and standing them up so that a kind of chain reaction is triggered by the slightest bit of domino. You know what most of us do in our life? Is if the dominoes were set up, if there was 13 dominoes set up in our life, and we knew it took just a little bit of energy to topple over this first domino that represents whatever crisis might be in our life, it's not going to stand up there. What we end up doing is this. We see that first domino, and if you're like me, you run. You run past it to get to this big, huge, mammoth obstacle in our life and expect it to topple over with the same energy we tried to topple over the first one. And so we, we, we say our morning prayer and we expect this huge crisis in our life to be mitigated. We do the very beginning in our spiritual life and we expect this huge monumental uh, crisis in our life. We expect to have peace from it. And the way that life works is this. It begins here and over the course of time as we implement just a little bit of energy and sustained energy and sustained focus and sustained faithfulness in reading our Bible and coming to church and worshiping and praying and being and generous, you will find yourselves toppling over what you used to just stare at and wonder how in the world are they going to come down? Now, here's the thing. You're not going to know how to begin with some of these things. And that's okay. We're going to help. We're going to give you very practical suggestions and scriptures that point us to this place where we're going to help you begin. You're going to think, well, I'm not making progress fast enough, Daniel. It's been two days and nothing's happened. <laughs> well, we're going to embrace the promise the scripture has on us that says, don't lose hope, don't give up, because at just the right time, you will see yourself making progress. You'll see all of these things come to fruition. You're going to think to yourself, well, I'm going to sabotage myself anyway, so why bother starting? Well, we're going to embrace the identity we have in Christ, and as we do, we're going to see progress, momentum, strength for greater and far more significant things in our life. Pull out your outline, would you, if you haven't already. There's a prayer there. And as I pray this aloud, I want you to follow it along in your own hearts and use this this week as we seek to align ourselves on what it looks like to embrace our identity, to begin today to have a purposeful drive to develop these strong spiritual habits. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on 
Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.